Revelation 15 is where we're going to be, but we're going to actually just look at Revelation 14 by way of review. It's been a while since we've been in the study, so a bit of a review will do us well. And um, so I want to talk about cycles a little bit, then get into Revelation chapter 15, and then, well, we'll go into 16 if there's time. The, the clock is going to dictate some of what we do today. I'm not going to rush. We are going to go into the Old Testament quite a bit, so you may want to be keeping your finger in Revelation 15 and going back into the Old Testament as we go here. But let me just begin uh, with um, Revelation chapter 14. And we dealt with this last time, verse 14. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud. Revelation 14, 14. I'll give you time to get there. See, Bible's turning, and that's good. That's what we want. Revelation 14, 14. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and seated on the cloud, one like a son of man, with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him, who sat on the cloud, Put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. Then another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the altar, the angel who had authority over the fire, and he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, Put your sickle in and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for which grapes are ripe. First one was wheat, right? It was ripened wheat, you know. Now it's grapes, ripened grapes. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city and blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle for 1600 stadia. And we dealt with that the last time we were here. Um, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 4. I don't think there should be any doubt that what we've just read is um, the end of the world and the Lord Jesus Christ return. But uh, if there be any doubt, then why don't we go to Mark chapter 4, and we're going to start reading in verse number 26. And, and to our Western minds, this is admittedly confusing, because uh, we like a, a threefold uh, story to be told. We want a beginning, then we want the story to be told in the middle, and then we want the, the grand end to come, and then maybe just a little bit of an epilogue after that. Um, the Hebrews didn't uh, think that way. That's not the way they wrote. And they put uh, oftentimes the, the end of the story in the middle of the story. And uh, sometimes they've even scattered it throughout. In the book of Revelation, they've scattered it throughout, as we're going to see. But uh, here we are, the words of the Lord Jesus Christ in Mark chapter 4. And we start reading in verse 26, keeping in mind what we just saw. The kingdom, um, let's see if I've got the right passage here. I hope I've got the right passage here. Mark 4, 26. I'm going to read it. Okay. And he said, the kingdom of God is if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and night rises. The seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how the earth produces it by itself. First the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Okay, so 
not quite as clear as we have in Revelation 14, but there we see the blade, the ear, the full grain in the ear, and then uh, talking about the wheat. And when the grain is ripe, he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And we saw that in Revelation 14 there. So sometimes in Revelation, you have the end of the story a number of times, a further explanation of the story, and it happens over and over again, sometimes from heaven's perspective and sometimes from the perspective of those on the earth being judged. So if you do try to read the book of Revelation chronologically and say, okay, this is the beginning, then this is just keeping on going, it's going, it's going, going, going like that until we finally get to the end. You can obviously see a beginning. You can obviously see an end because it does end, you know. But um, really, if you're reading the book of Revelation chronologically, you're probably confused and haven't been able to figure it out. And there's a a better way to read it. That's what I'm trying to say. And so, you know, um, remember 1-3, Revelation 1-3, I'll just read it to you. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. So there's certain things that all Christians can agree with, with the book of Revelation. And, and all, thing, all people, all good Christians can understand this. They see the theme of God's love for his people. No matter what dispensational or other viewpoint that you happen to have, amillennial, uh, historic premillennial, postmillennial, you can see the theme of God's love for his people, You can see the theme of God's providence overall. You can see the final victory of God over his enemies. And you can see the eternal rest of the saints and the eternal judgment of the lost where there is no rest. And Pastor Ken did a a great job on Wednesday night. I think it was this week or maybe the week before, talking about rest and what rest actually means. And uh, it's not taking a nap. You know, it's not just... uh, you know, taking a nap is fine, okay? But rest is a little deeper than that. And so, if we try to, to read it um, like linear history using our own Western logic, um, we will make a mistake because we'll try to take literally what's to be taken symbolically. So, uh, we're going to try to do a, a little bit of a structure outline here. Uh, go ahead and take your outline that I gave you. Seven cycles in the book of Revelation. Admittedly, uh, you know, this, this is a, a good overview of what the book's about. But I'd like to take you through a different outline uh, that isn't on this paper exactly. You can find it in there if you look really hard. But I want to take us right through the book of Revelation and show either the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ or the final judgment. Because of this is throughout the book. So let's start in chapter 6, verse 14. There's seven seals. And you'd say, well, obviously the seventh seal is the, the, the end of it. No, the sixth seal is the end of it, as you'll see here. Revelation chapter 6, verse 14. And this is end of the world language. The sky vanished like a scroll that's being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, 
fallen us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Okay. You say, well, what are we going to do with the rest of the chapters? Okay, how, what are we going to say now? We've come to the end. No, we've not come to the end. That was the sixth seal, and the seventh seal shows uh, what's happening in heaven during this time. But go all the way to chapter 11 now. All the way to chapter 11. And we have the trumpets. There's seals, trumpets, and bowls. Okay. Now we're in the seals, or trumpets. And this time the seventh trumpet is the end. Okay. So chapter 11 and uh, verse number 15. Let's start there. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who sit on the thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who was and is and who is to come, for you've taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came. And the time for the dead to be judged, and for the rewarding of the servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Well, there's the end of the world once again, from a different perspective. Chapter 14, verse 14, we already saw just a moment ago. I'll just read verse 14 again, though, just to remind us. Chapter 14, verse 14. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and seated on the cloud, one like the Son of Man, always talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And then the rest of it we've already read. And there, again, saved and lost, distinguished. Uh, the wheat gathered into the barn. And that was actually, I forgot to write down where that parable is found. Gather the wheat into the barn, but burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. That's what I thought I was going to read. But I omitted writing it down. And um, this is really where that comes from there. Chapter 16, verse 17. This is the seventh bowl. Okay, we're going to look at the bowls probably next week. We might get them started tonight. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air. And a loud voice came out of the temple and from the throne saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, a great earthquake such as there never been on the earth. And so great was that earthquake. And it talks about the great city collapsing. But what's going to happen in chapter 17 and chapter 18 and chapter 19? We're going to talk about the great city. The great city that we just saw collapsing. We're going to talk about that great city, Babylon. And so this is what Revelation likes to do. It likes to tell us what's happening and then give us another perspective on it. And tell us again, and tell us again, and tell us again. And if we can just put away our Western thinking, and we can kind of put ourselves in the place, and Ken does an excellent job of this, of telling us to put ourselves in the place of the original readers. If we do that, then we have to say, okay, these guys, the seven churches that this was written to, and then, of course, transcribed and sent all over, they must have had a good understanding of what this book was about. You know. And the book is taken from the Old Testament, basically. And we're going to see that tonight. We're going to look at some, 
some Old Testament passages that have to do with this. And so they should have had some idea that maybe they couldn't have it all figured out. We don't have it all figured out, you know. But um, they should have had a, a good overview understanding as it was read to them and as they were blessed by the word being read to them and they heard it. Okay, now let's go to chapter 20. Chapter 20, verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, from his presence the earth and sky fled away. No place was found for them. And I saw, kind of like this, this, this guy being rolled up like a scroll that we saw in chapter 6, right? Yeah, it is. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, from his presence earth and sky fled away. No place was found for them. And I saw all the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And the books were open. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Of course, you don't want to be judged according to what you've done. You don't want that to happen. But they're not in Christ. They're outside of Christ. That's what's going to happen. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So we see a book where, where their deeds are written down and they're judged by those deeds. But we do see the book of life, of course, which is where we want to be and where we want our names written because we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, actually, one more place to look. Chapters 21 and 22 um, most of that has to do with uh, the new heavens and the new earth, when heaven and earth become one, and this is the eternal dwelling place of the saints. Uh, but, um, you know, um, if we see in the first uh, few verses of chapter 21, the second death that we've already seen, uh, verse 5, And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. And he said, Write down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And of course, that comes right from chapter 1, too. To the thirsty, I'll give the springs of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God, and he'll be my son. But here's judgment again. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And then, one of the seven angels, which is interesting, by the way, let me just say 21.9, getting a little ahead of ourselves, but then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me. Seven last plagues are chapter 16. Okay, And we'll maybe get started on that tonight. But that's a real key verse for this whole idea. The same angel that we're going to see in chapter 16. And the same bowls, we're talking about the seven bowls, which are the last plagues that come upon the earth. Okay, so that's a bit of a review that should help us out a little bit and get us back into it. So that's another way to look at the book. Actually, it's my preferred way of looking at the book, is to see how many times we can see the Lord's return, or how many times we can see the judgment of God 
And that really aligns well with the minor prophets. Remember our minor prophets study that we had? It aligns well with that. It also aligns well with the major prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel. It aligns itself very, very well with that. The book of Revelation quotes from these books often along with the Psalms and the books of Moses too. Okay, so let's go ahead and go to chapter 15 of Revelation. Okay, verse number one. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. So really, that, that tied in very well, too, not just chapter 16. We're not going to see the bowls um, poured out yet. That happens in 16. But that's really what we were alluding to in 21.9, and there's that right there. The seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last and we'll see one angel that uh, is at the head of it as we go through. So John sees another sign. And that connects with chapter 12, verse number 1, which talks about uh, the, the, the great sign that was there, of course, and the woman. And she was pregnant, and she's bringing forth Messiah. And then, of course, um, the war that entails uh, between um, uh, the, the woman's seed and the offspring, which is the church, of course. So all that taking place there in Revelation chapter 12. So here's seven angels with seven plagues. And chapter 15 is from heaven's perspective. Chapter 16 is what's happening on the earth. And these are the last plagues that fall. And then we'll see the judgment actually expanded upon and uh, exposited even more in 17, 18, and 19. Okay. So, verse 2. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire. And, of course, that comes from chapter 4, verse 6. And also Ezekiel one twenty-two to the end of the chapter. We won't take time to look at those places, but that's where it comes from. And if you have a cross-reference Bible, it might even tell you that. You know. So, I saw, uh, you know... Uh, and it appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast and its image, and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands, and they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Okay, we'll stop right there. How did they conquer the beast? Well, I mean, faithful to the end. These are the conquerors. These are those that, as Hendrickson says, more than conquerors. You know, these are the ones. It's not just the martyrs. It, it's not. It is the martyrs, but not just the martyrs. It's all the faithful who persevere to the end by the sustaining grace of God and the preservation of God. So these are the ones that are singing there now, and the song that they sing is is a majestic song. It's the song of Moses, but look in the book of. Don't turn there. But if you were to look at the song of Moses in Exodus, it's not the same song. Exodus 15, 1 through 18, as they come through uh, on the other side of the Red Sea, this isn't that song. You know, It's like that song, but it's not that song. But if you sing this new song, this new song, this song is a song of Moses, and it's the song of the Lamb, and it's taken from about at least seven different scriptures. 
compiled together, at least seven. They, they may even be more. But there's at least seven scriptures alluded to here. And uh, if you want to look them up in Beal, you can. But let's just say what it says. Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. That's the song that's sung, you know. And, um, you know, it's, it's amazing. It's about, the, like I said, at least seven different Old Testament passages. And, and really, I think you could add a whole lot more with some of this verbiage that's given here. But, um, you know, power, the power of God, the sovereignty of God, the proper fear of God. Look at the song, and you can see this is what it's about. The glory of God, the holiness of God, the success of God in saving some from all the nations, and his righteous acts. And it aligns the Old Testament saints with the New Testament saints. It can be the song of Moses, because he was the God that saved in the Old Testament. And it's, of course, the song of the Lamb, who actually purchases all of the saints, Old Testament and New Testament, by the shedding of his blood. And so it's the song of Moses, the mighty man of God, and the song of the Lamb, the only Redeemer of God's elect. Now verses 5 through 8. The true tabernacle in heaven is shown to us once again. And, um, you know, and uh, I'll just read it to you. After this I looked, and the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was opened, and out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen, with golden sashes around their chests. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one can enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. So there's chapter 15. We will be able to go on a little bit further tonight, so that's good. You know. Now, what are the bowls? Well, you know what a bowl is, right? You have a bowl, and you got a two-year-old, and you got a disaster just waiting to happen, right? <laughs> a bowl full of, of cereal to put a little milk in there to make it worse, and he's going to go like that. And there it goes, all over the place. Well, this is meant to be that way. These are bowls, and they're full and they're going to be poured out just like that, but it's the wrath of God that's going to be poured out on the earth. And as we read these, and we will not get to all seven, I can tell you that for sure, but we might get to the first five. I think we can, at least the first four, because uh, these bowls have to do with the judgments of God. And again, we don't think chronologically. We need to think about these judgments coming and coming and coming and they're coming, and, and they're just surrounding the earth before the end of the world. Okay, So this is what's happening. We, we can see glimpses of judgment. We've already seen glimpses of judgment. Remember we saw a fourth of the sea turn to blood. And then we saw a third of the sea turn to blood. Here we're going to see all of it turn to blood. Okay, And so we are seeing more localized destruction, but this is utter destruction. This is the end of the world and, um, as, as we know it to be, and the bringing in of the new heavens and the new earth.
You know, in Scripture, there's things that are uncomfortable. But what we see is really the answer to the prayers of the saints that are under the altar. They say, how long, O Lord, how long before you avenge our blood? Well, here it is, you know. And um, these are the golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And it will be total destruction. Now, I want to take a, a moment just to do something else here. And take your, your songbooks and do something with a, a song here. Uh, turn to hymn 34. Sometimes we sing psalms in our church. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I get a little uncomfortable when we're singing a psalm. Because I'm thinking wrong. You know, we need to think. There's the mercy and, and grace and, 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 and blessing of God. But there's the judgment of God too. And this is from Psalm 139. Really a good way to show uh, the, the two aspects of God that are true. You know. And I'm not going to sing it to you, so you'll be glad for that. But I will read it to you like a poem, okay? And notice what it says, Psalm 34. All that I am I owe to thee. Thy wisdom, Lord, has fashioned me. I give my maker thankful praise, whose wondrous works my soul amaze. Well, that's great, okay? Air into being I was brought, thine eye did see, and in thy thought, my life and all its perfect plan was ordered ere my days began. You say, that's, amen, that's very true. Thy thoughts, O God, how manifold, more precious unto me than gold. I muse on their infinity, awaking, I'm still with thee. Very comforting. The wicked thou wilt surely slay. From me let sinners turn away. They speak against the name divine. I count God's enemies as mine. Whoops. <laughs> That's a little harder to sing, isn't it? You know? I mean, seriously. You know? Um, I find myself in hospitals, well, I find myself visiting the hospitals a lot more, or not a lot less than I used to because of COVID, you know? obviously. But one thing I've always found is I want to read um, a psalm to somebody. I, I find myself sometimes that person's laying sick in bed. They're trying, to, they're trying to look to heaven. They're trying to trust God. I find myself sometimes skipping over a few verses of the psalms about the wicked being slain so I can read them the comforting passages. And, and uh, that's not very comforting. The wicked thou surely slay. From me let sinners turn away. They speak against the name divine. I count God's enemies as mine. So that's not very comforting. Yeah, it is. It is comforting to know there's a day of judgment coming. And judgment is deserved. Judgment is deserved. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the day for sinners to turn away. Now is the day for them to turn to God. But there's a day coming that they will not be able to turn. They'll be standing instead. We should have love and compassion and and preach to the lost, and try to witness to the lost, and, and pray for the lost, and all these things are things that we need to do. But we cut the Bible short if we don't um, preach the whole counsel of God and see the realities of life and death. And then the Psalm, Psalm 139 does end very nicely. Search me, O God. It, it has to do with application and uh, and contemplating all these things, what I ought to do. Search me, O God, my heart discern. Try, my, try me my inmost thoughts to learn. And lead me, if in sin I stray, 
to choose the everlasting way. So it turns to contemplation of ourselves and application. And, and you can look up Psalm 139 later, verses 14 through 24, and you'll see this is a very faithful rendition. It's not the exact wording because it's been put into prose and made to rhyme so that we can sing it. But it's very much like that. And, and as you read the Psalms this year in your devotions, pay attention uh, to the ones that talk about judgment because there's a lot. There's a lot of them that do exactly that. Okay. So this is judgment for the lost. As surely as there's vindication for the people of God. And our mission now is to evangelize the lost and see God's enemies run or turn from darkness unto light. But those that do not turn will be judged. Okay. Now, the smoke of the temples, like the, back to Psalm 15. I mean, Psalm 15, Revelation 15. The smoke of the temple is like Isaiah 6. And these judgments are called the last plagues, and they really are. Okay. 16.1. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. Okay. And uh, this is the antithesis to the Great Commission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. This is go into all the world and spread the wrath of God. Why? Because the day of grace is gone, and now is the judgment of God. So don't think sequentially now. Think all this together as the judgment of God right at the end. That's what you want to do. Okay. And we'll look at them one by one because we kind of have to do that in our own minds to make some sense of it. Okay. So verse number two. The, second, the, the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. We talked about the mark of the beast already. You know, painful sores. Where else can you think of painful sores? Well, the book of Job, yeah. Job had sores on him. But what about in Egypt? Those painful sores that came. We're going to see a lot of, of um, imagery here that takes us back to the Exodus. Takes us back to what God did, um, again, this morning at the 10 o'clock study, we saw a Pharaoh. Why did Pharaoh do what he did? And what was the purpose of Pharaoh? God says, behind it all, he says, for this purpose I've raised you up, that I can show my power and glory in all the earth. And that's what Pharaoh's all about, you know. Uh, a man that was so foolish that his advisors would tell him, what are you doing? Egypt is being destroyed because of you. And still he refuses to repent and hardens his heart. And his heart is hardened also. So really, it's quite an amazing story. Turn to Leviticus 16. Keep a finger here. We'll be back. But Leviticus 16 is where I'd like you to go. What we see in Leviticus 16 are what we would call covenant curses. <clears throat> covenant curses, warnings to the children of Israel who were a mixed multitude that came out of Egypt, warnings of, of what would happen if uh, they did not follow the ways of God. And of course, they didn't. Too many times, they didn't. Too many times, they went after the gods of the Canaanites, the very Canaanites they were supposed to annihilate. Uh, they went after those gods. Yeah. Well, Leviticus 16, we start reading in verse number 14, 
get to the right place here. Okay. Leviticus chapter 16, verse number 14. I think, I, I think it's actually 26. Well, let me see. Yeah, it's 26, not 16. Keep saying 16, and I meant 26. Leviticus 26. Okay. Okay, yes, here it is. Leviticus 26, verse 14. But if you will not listen to me, and will not do all these commandments, if you spurn my statutes, and if my soul, and if your soul abhors my rules, so that you will not do all my commandments, but break my covenant, then I'll do this to you. I'll visit you with panic, with wasting disease and fever that consumes the eyes and makes the heart ache. And you shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. I'll set my face against you, and you shall be struck down before your enemies. Those who hate you shall rule over you, and you shall flee when no one pursues you. It sounds like the book of Judges, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And if in spite of all this, you, and also uh, book of First Kings and Second Kings too. Yeah. And in spite of all this, uh, you will not listen to me, then I will discipline you again sevenfold for your sins. Now, take that sevenfold. That, we're going to see that sevenfold over and over again in a few minutes here. I'll discipline you sevenfold for your sins. I'll break the pride of your power, and I'll make your heavens like iron and your earth like bronze. The trees of the land will not yield their fruit. Uh, yeah, your strength will be spent in vain, for the land shall not yield its increase. The trees shall not yield their fruit. Then, if you walk contrary to me and will not listen to me, I will continue striking you sevenfold for your sins. I'll let loose the wild beasts against you, which shall bereave you of your children, and destroy your livestock, and make you few in numbers, so that your roads shall be deserted. And if by this discipline you're not turned to me, but walk contrary to me, then I also will walk contrary to you, and myself will strike you sevenfold for your sins." And I'll bring a sword upon you that shall execute vengeance for the covenant. And if you gather uh, within your ci cities, I'll send pestilence among you, and you shall be delivered into the hand of the enemy. When I break your supply of bread, ten women shall bake your bread in a single oven, and shall dole out your bread again by weight, and you shall eat and not be satisfied. But if in spite of this you will not listen to me, but walk contrary to me, then I'll walk contrary to you. In fury... And I myself will discipline you sevenfold for your sins. And go on down to verse 33. And I'll scatter you among the nations and I'll unsheathe the sword against you and your land shall be desolate and waste. Well, that's pretty horrible. That's pretty terrible. It's exactly what God said that he would do. Now, these are, are covenant vows and covenant breaking. And, of course, we know there was the true remnant in Israel that believed. And um, we saw again this morning that not all Israel is of Israel. You know, um, God had his remnant. And um, the remnant, of course, are the believers. And uh, then these plagues did come upon them. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 28. Deuteronomy 28. Remember we just talked about painful sores. A moment ago, right? And that God was going to do that at the end of the world to those that would not listen to him or believe in him. Well, bowl number one has these painful sores. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 28 and uh, verse 27. 
the Lord will strike you with the boils of Egypt and with tumors and scabs and itch of which you cannot be healed. I'm talking about covenant curses. Look at verse 35. The Lord will strike you on the knees and on the legs with grievous boils of which you cannot be healed from the sole of your foot to the crown of your head. So this is just painful. Painful physical, painful emotional, painful psychological, pain. And uh, in the book of Revelation, total destruction. So back to the book of Revelation. Again we go. Revelation 16. We see the first plague boils. Well, that's not so bad. Well, you just read what we said. It was pretty bad, wasn't it? Okay. It's very bad, you know. Number three. Um, or verse three, sorry. Then the second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse, and every living thing died that was in the sea. Now, we're often told we need to take the book of Revelation literally. I'll take this literally. You know, I, it's what happened. This is the judgment. This is the end. This is what's happening. This is the destruction. This destruction of all sea life. Remember? We said earlier we saw a fourth of the sea life, and then a third of the sea life destroyed. Those were limited judgments. These were warnings that had come. But this is complete judgment. Nothing left. Nothing left. Utter destruction. Verse number four. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, Just are you, O holy one, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments, for they've shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It's what they deserve. Well, that's pretty powerful, isn't it? They shed the blood, and now they have nothing to drink but blood. Nothing left. Destruction of the fresh water. And then an angel says, what we spoke about a few minutes ago, the martyrs that, that speak. Now, this is tough for us because we know we deserve wrath. But we've been saved from wrath by Christ who took our wrath. And what we get is mercy and grace and forgiveness. But if you're not in Christ, you will get the very wrath that you deserve, you know. And um, verse number eight. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. So all this is coming down upon them. And instead of repenting, instead of looking to the Lord, they actually refuse to repent. They deny the Lord. They even blaspheme. And chapter, uh, verse 10, the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. You know, Trouble comes upon the lost. And if we're not careful, we can have the same reaction. Same wrong reaction. Why is this happening to me? I don't deserve what God is doing to me. 
terrible attitude. Here's the blasphemers, you know. And I'm not going to start the next part because it would take too long. But we're about ready to come to actually one of the most famous parts of Revelation uh, that almost every single person in America, at least, knows about. Uh, the Battle of Armageddon. But we'll have to wait till next week to deal with the Battle of Armageddon. Okay, But that's the rest of the chapter here that you'll see.